1: the greatest discoveries of my life has been the discovery that God, the creator of the universe, wants to speak to us personally through his word. And over the next few weeks I want to share with you some of my discoveries. I will often hear young Christians say, how can I find out what is God's will for my life? Have you ever wondered that? I know I have and I want you to turn with me please to Proverbs chapter 3 and these are two of my favorite verses in the Bible Proverbs chapter 3 verses 5 and 6 and it reads trust in the Lord with all your heart now how do we learn to trust somebody how do we come to trust somebody we get to know them don't we and the way we get to know them is to spend time with them and this is how we get to know God we need to read his word we need to pray and to meditate and then as we get to know him we'll trust him and then it says and lean not on your own understanding in all your ways acknowledge him as I was thinking about these verses last evening it came to me that these two sentences are some of the most humbling in all of Scripture. Why you might ask? Well it's because we like to do things our way don't we? We seem to think that we know just how we need to run our own lives but how often do we get our lives into a mess? If you're like me it's quite often And so here God is saying, don't lean to your own understanding, but acknowledge me, submit your will to my will. And that's not always easy for our proud human hearts. But if we want God to direct our paths as he has promised in the next sentence, that's what we have to do. Submit to his will and our eye must be ever towards God. We must follow providence instead of forcing it. And if we do that, then we will live a successful and victorious Christian life. And this will happen as we listen to the voice of God as he speaks to us through his word.
0: And so I want you to open your Bible to the greatest and the grandest book in salvation. And I'm going to try to give you an exegesis, God helping me and you, of the entire book. Romans chapter 12. This Romans chapter 1. This book, my friend, is unlike any other book in the Bible because it is written like a lawyer's brief. It is a book that is organized, it is a book that is pungent with wisdom and logic and the power of God. And I want to say to every person sitting here today, because you know that I'm somewhat a person. Of plain speech. Let me say this to you. The best things are the most expensive things. The price and the prize are always equal. Think what I said. The price and the prize are always equal. If you pay little, it is because you have got little. And if you give little time to the study of the word of God, you will get little in return. This book of Romans will not yield its secrets without much concentration, without much prayer, without much dedication, and without much of the spirit of God. The only way a person can understand this book is by divine revelation. For years, the book of Romans was a closed book to my soul. But when I came to understand the message of Romans, it was as though the heavens were opened and I understood the truth. The truth about God and the truth about myself and the truth about Jesus and the truth about salvation and righteousness by faith. Here is a warning to you, beware of the person who says to you, oh you want to understand righteousness by faith? Then go to this father in the church. Go to this person in the church. Go to this author in the church. I would say they are the devices of the devil to stop us from going to the Word of God. I say today, go to the Word of God. And first and foremost, if you want to understand the truth of righteousness by faith and the truth of the gospel, go to St. Paul in Romans. Romans 1. We are going to read many passages. Romans 1 and verse 1. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, a doulos, a slave, called to be what? Called, so who called him to be an apostle? (laughs) Not the nominating committee because Charles A. made a blunder. He was called by God to be an apostle, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel, the good news of God. The gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets and the holy scriptures regarding who? Regarding his son who as to his human nature was a descendant of David and who through the spirit of holiness was declared with power to be the son of God by his resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ our Lord. Therefore the first point that I make today in my exegesis of this great book is this. The gospel or the good news is about Jesus Christ. The gospel is not about you. And it's not about me. A lot of preachers today preach smart psychology sermons where they tell people lots of good advice and what they ought to do. The gospel is not good advice telling you what you ought to do. The gospel is the good news that whatever God demands of you, He has already done in the person of His Son. And so, this book opens with a bombshell. It is the gospel concerning the son of God the gospel of Romans and the Bible is the good news not about the church it is not about your adequacy it is not about your law keeping it is not about your perfection it is not about your success it is about God's son because it is through the son of God that we are saved. So that is the first point, the gospel is about Jesus. And verse 16 says, I'm going to pick out the high points. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because, come on people, it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes First for the Jew, then for the Gentile, for in the gospel a righteousness from God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. I tell you today on the authority of of the words of Holy Scripture... That the gospel, if you comprehend the gospel, and if God today is gracious to you and reveals the gospel to you, you will discover that the gospel of God is the power of God to salvation. And you will be saved if you believe the gospel. I will venture to tell you today, I believe this that the vast majority of people who call themselves Christians do not understand or believe in the gospel. They talk about the gospel and they use the term gospel, but they have no understanding of the gospel. The gospel that I preach today is a supernatural gospel and it cannot be understood by human reasoning. The gospel must be revealed to you as the gospel was revealed to St. Paul on the Damascus Road. I ask you today, have you had a revelation hot from the heart of God, bright from the glory of his throne? Because when you understand the gospel, you'll understand yourself. And you'll understand how it is to be saved. But the Bible says that for many, many people, darkness is over their eyes. Did you know that? Darkness is over their eyes. They listen and they hear the words, but darkness is over their eyes. Because only God can reveal the gospel. Verse 18, God's wrath against mankind. God's wrath? Does God have wrath? Apparently the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. And let me give you a brief synopsis of chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, after introducing the gospel, Paul says, The wrath of God is revealed against the sinfulness of men. And in Romans chapter 1, Paul deals with a subject that is not popular in almost any church. Paul talks about the universal depravity of the human race. And in Romans chapter 1, he starts in with the Gentiles. And he talks about the pagan world of his his own day, particularly the world of of the Romans. And if Paul were here today, he would not start in on the sins of the church. He does that in the next chapter. He starts in on the sins of Hollywood and the sins of carnality. Notice verse 24. Verse 22, although they claimed to be wise, they became fools. Some of the most educated people are the biggest fools, the Bible says. Because they turned from God and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. The Bible says that when people turn from the creator God and worship the creature, there is only one path they can take, and that is the path of perversion and sin. Verse 26 and onwards, it talks about homosexuality. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural relations for unnatural ones. That's lesbianism. In the same way the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed indecent acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their perversion. And verse 29, And this talks about the sin of the world. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossips. You notice where gossiping is put? Bless your heart, that's one of the sins of the church. And gossiping, a gossiper, is put in the same category as a man who has sexual relationships with another man. So that tells you what God thinks of gossipers. It says, gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful, they invent ways of doing evil, they disobey their parents, they're senseless, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do those very things, but also approve of those who practice them. And so, is Romans 1 good news? Would you call it good news, brother? I call it bad news, because it's the bad news about us. Here is a picture of the world, and it is a world that is immersed in every type of evil situation, and the Bible says the wrath of God is hanging over it. I want every person here to know this today and if you need to tremble before the word of God then tremble. The Bible says that the wrath of God is coming upon the world of unlawless men and women. So that's Romans 1. That's the bad news. And when Paul gets through to Romans 2 after dealing with the Gentiles and the pagans he turns to the church of his own day, and that is the church of Judaism. And he turns to the church of his own day and he says, you think the Romans are bad? They are. But you're just as bad. Chapter 2 verse 1, you therefore have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else for at whatever point you judge the other, you're condemning yourself because you who pass judgment do the same things my friend, have you noticed this? It is a law of life that the critic, the person who criticizes another person is invariably guilty of the same sins that he sees in others. And uh, the Jewish people, of course, were the critics of the pagans. And Paul turns to them in verse 17 of this chapter. He says, now you, if you call yourself a Jew if you rely on the law and brag about your relationship to God, if you know His will and approve of what is superior because you are instructed by the law, if you are convinced that you are a guide for the blind, a light for those who are in the dark, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of infants because you have in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth, you then who teach others, Do you not teach yourself? You who preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say to people they shouldn't commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who brag about the law, do you dishonor God by breaking the law? As it is written, God's name is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. Now these are strong, strong words. Chapter 1. The Gentile world is lost and under the wrath of God. And then he turns to the great church of his own day. And he says, you know better. Because you make a big pretense, but it's just a lot of show. And if Paul were alive today, he would not just talk about the sins of Hollywood. He'd talk about the sins of the church. And tragically, listen to this. The people who've done the worst things in the history of the world have been religious people. And tragically, so many people have become disillusioned with the church and they've lost the, left the church, and that's a tragedy. And they've lost their faith in God and they've left the church because of the hypocrisy in the church. And people say, do you believe there's hypocrisy in the church? Of course there's hypocrisy in the church. Of course there's hypocrisy in the church. Is there sin in the church? Yes, there's sin in the church. But the Bible says, the wrath of God will come upon the world and the church because God is impartial. So Romans 2, he says, the religious people are just as bad as the non-religious and then you come to chapter 3 and you come to verse 9 and now he makes a summary what shall we conclude then are we any better? boy are we any better? he says are we any better than the people down in Hollywood? are we any better than the producers of those filthy movies? What a question, he says. Are we any better? Not at all. We've already made the charge. The Jews and Gentiles alike are all under sin. As it is written, there is no unrighteous, No, not one. Then you come to verse 19. Now we know that whatever the law says... It says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable before God. I want this, thanks Steve, to sink into your hearts. Can I tell you the hardest thing for me to recognize? You know the hardest thing? That I'm a sinner. Because. I was born a Pharisee, like every person sitting here in this church. And the root problem of every problem in the world is the blindness of our hearts that refuses to say, I'm a sinner. If you're a person who likes to criticize other people, I can tell you right now what your problem is. You've never come to the place where you say, God be merciful to me, a wretched sinner. It's the hardest thing for people to do. It is the great sin of the later sin church. God cannot use the later sin church to bring the latter rain to the world because the later sin church says. I'm rich and increased with goods, I have need of nothing. God says you're wretched, miserable, poor and blind and naked. Whenever God uses a man or a woman, it is firstly with a revelation from God that leads that person to cry out, God be merciful to me, a sinner. This is a lesson I want to tell every person sitting here today. I don't care whether you're an elder in the church. I don't care whether you're the president of the conference. I don't care who you are because when we stand before the holy law of God, we cry out, there is none righteous. No, not one. Not one of us. And so... Paul lays down the truth of the universal depravity of the human race. And that's the bad news. But now here comes glory, hallelujah. Here comes the good news. But listen to this. You will never appreciate the good news about Christ until you appreciate the bad news about yourself. And I want to whisper this to you as a pastor with just a little bit of experience. The people who are the hardest to help, I can tell you, in the church or in the world are the self-righteous who are always trying to set everybody else right, and they're so blind that they can't see their own depravity and foolishness. And so, Romans 1, Romans 2, the universal depravity of the human race, and God is talking about you brother and you sister. Now verse 20, Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. Why? Come on. The Bible says, no one is going to be declared righteous in the sight of God by observing the law. Why? Because the law tells us that we are sinners and we're lost Can I have a little experiment here? Will the person in this church please stand up who is prepared at this moment to come and stand in the judgment before a holy God and say, God, take me into the kingdom because I am a perfect law keeper. Would you please stand up? We'd like to see you because you'd be the only one in the the world And there was only one in the world, and that was Jesus. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. Now, here is the most amazing statement in the history of literature. But now, these are difficult verses, but I want you to know them. But now, a righteousness from God apart from law, has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference, for all have sinned, And fall short of the glory of God. All have sinned, that is past tense, fall short of the glory of God, that is present tense. So the Bible says the greatest person in the world is still falling short of the glory of God. Is this what it says? I've read this to congregations in Australia and people have even had the temerity to stand up in the congregation and cry out, No, 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 I am a perfect person. I keep the law of God perfectly. I was asked to be the night speaker for the 1988 Minneapolis conference in Minneapolis. One night a man came up to me and he said, Elder Carter, I wish to talk to you. He said, you need to preach that God will not accept us until we are perfect. I said, like you? He said, yes, like me. He said, I'm here to testify that I am a perfect man. I said, Have you a wife so I can talk to her? (laughs) He said, She's left me. (laughs) I said, if I were married to you, I would have left you also. The hardest person to live with is the humbug who believes that he is sinless. He is deluded utterly deluded and not nice to live with. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified declared righteous freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. He did this to demonstrate his love His justice, what has justice got to do with Jesus dying? Because in his forbearance, he'd left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did this to demonstrate his love, his justice at the present time, so as to be what? Just, and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Listen carefully. It has been suggested by great scholars that these are the greatest words. They should be read and memorized. Number one, we are sinners. Number two, we are justified, declared righteous. The word justify does not mean, as was taught by the Jesuits in the Council of Trent, to make righteous. It means to declare righteous. And the Bible says, when I come in penitence and humility and confession to the cross, that God, by virtue of the death of Jesus, declares that I am not guilty and I am righteous. No wonder Tyndale said, "Good glad and merry tidings that makes a man's heart to sing for joy and his feet to shh, dance." Just gotta be careful on that last bit there. It says that God may be just; the justice of God is involved in Calvary. Sin must be punished. The sinner must be punished. God cannot just forgive sin without a just punishment. And on Calvary, God the judge took the punishment upon himself. God the judge bore the guilt of the world. He cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He sweat as it were, great drops of blood. And then he cried out with a voice that echoed throughout time and eternity, It is finished. It is finished. And sin was atoned for. And the righteous God who gave the law now comes to the sinner who recognizes his sin and who comes in penitence. And the Father says, not guilty. And the universe says, Justice has been met. And if I should die today, I will be with Christ in paradise. I have the witness of the Spirit within myself that I am a child of God, not because I am good enough, but because Calvary covers it all. Mm. Greatest, most glorious, most liberating of all truths. You know why, listen, you know why people get into the New Age? Because they don't understand the gospel. You know why people in our own churches are so cold and critical, and so long-faced, it is because they know religion, but they don't know Christ. And our churches are filled with pious, religionists. You've got no idea what it means to be saved. If they knew what it meant to be saved, they wouldn't point so many fingers at other people. You hear what I'm saying? Now, today I'm not preaching with any notes because I don't need it in the book of Romans. Now, let me move on a little faster because there's another 48 chapters. Why <laughs> right on. Not really. Let me give you a synopsis of some of these chapters. You won't even need to look them up, but you can read them. In Romans 4, Paul answers the arguments of the Judaizers who say, Heresy! New light! This is something which is a heresy. He's teaching antinomianism. He's teaching cheap grace. Paul says, hold on. This is how Abraham was saved. And this is how David was saved. This is not just the teaching of St. Paul. This is the teaching of the Old Testament. Romans 4, verse 1. What then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, discovered in this matter? If in fact Abraham was justified by works, he is something to boast about, but not before God. What does the scripture say? Come on. Abraham believed God. It was credited to him as righteousness. And then you come down to verse 5. Now to the man who does not work for salvation... Now to the man who does not work but trusts God who justifies the righteous. His faith is credited as righteousness. Of course, that's a heresy. What did you say amen for? The Bible didn't say what I read. (laughs) Look at the text. Listen. You folks aren't listening. I'm telling you, you're not listening. Listen up. However, to the man who does not work But trust God who justifies the wicked. His faith is credited as righteousness. No wonder the Jews and the Pharisees said heresy. Because Paul said God justifies the ungodly, the wicked. What a radical idea. Do you want to be justified? Hey, do you want to be justified? Answer me. Do you want to be justified? Yes. If you want to be justified, brother, you've got to put yourself in the category of the wicked. Oh. <laughs> Can you imagine the person who's gone to church, Charles, for 30 years and thinks he's saved because he studied the lesson pamphlet every day? And God says, I will justify you not on the basis of your goodness, but on the basis of Christ's goodness and on the basis that you recognize that you're wicked if we all recognize that we are sinners, we would all be more disposed to read our Bibles every day. You know why people don't read their Bibles? It's because they're really self-righteous and think they don't need God. Did you know that I'm talking about church members? I can frankly confess to you today... I read my Bible every day and I do it because I am too weak not to. I'm too big a sinner not to. I am too spiritually dumb not to. Now you may be better, but I don't think you are. But the Bible says that this great doctrine is the doctrine of the Old Testament so don't say heresy. Romans chapter 5, Paul introduces the two Adams. Romans chapter 5, he tells us that the first Adam lost everything, but the second Adam brings everything back. Verse 12, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, who was that? Death through sin, and in this way death came to all men because all sinned. Verse 15, We sinned in Adam, but the gift is not like the trespass, for if the many died by the trespass of the one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? Again, the gift of God is not like the result of the one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought what? What? condemnation, but the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. Verse 18, consequently, just as the result of one trespass was condemnation for how many? All men. So also the result of one act of righteousness was justification that brings life for all men. For just as through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners so also through the obedience of the one man, the many will be made righteous. Listen, because this great truth is understood by so few. The Bible says, Adam stood as the head of the human race. Was I there when Adam sinned? Was I there when Adam sinned? Was I there when Jesus died? Was I there when Adam sinned? Where was I? I was in his loins. (laughs) I was there. Where do you think I came from? You think I flew in from Mars? (laughs) The human race wasn't Adam. The black and the brown and the yellow and the red, every other color, and the white. We were all in Adam. And when Adam sinned, I sinned. Adam was driving the car. And when Adam went off, I was in the back seat and went off with him. And death came into the world. I am born in a state of sin. That's why Jesus said, you must be born again. He didn't say, we've got to be born again. He didn't need to be born again. Because he was not lost in Adam. I was lost before I was born. And I was redeemed before I was born As the blacks sing the song, were you there? When they crucified my Lord, I was there. Where was I? In Christ, the second Adam. And everything the first Adam lost, my Lord restored. And the Bible says, if I come to Christ truly believe then I am considered sinless, righteous I have everlasting life, I have justification I have perfect peace and I have paradise thrown in now the news is so good that the religious critic cries out and says if you preach that people are going to live anyhow And so in Romans 6, Paul talks about the doctrine of cheap grace, which is disgrace. Verse 1, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We died to sin. When did we die to sin? When did we die to sin? When Jesus died on the cross, I legally died in him. Do you want to know something? As far as the condemning law of God is concerned, John Carter is a dead man. The law cannot condemn me or damn me while I am in Christ. Because when Jesus died, I died with him. And so the Bible says, shall we continue to sin? And the Bible says, God forbid, verse 11... In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies, so that you obey its evil desires. Listen to this. You're listening to me? Do you want to know how to get the victory over sin? You don't get the victory over sin by dwelling on your sins. I've heard of people who get up at 4 o'clock in the morning, God bless them, and who pray, God, give me the victory over pride. You don't get the victory over pride by saying, God, help me to be humble today. You don't get the victory over sin by concentrating on sin because whatever gets your attention gets you. Sorry. It's all right. Got good shoulders. You're used to it. you, You ought to be glad I didn't hit you on the head by mistake. Listen, whatever gets your attention gets you. If Jesus gets your attention, he'll get you. But if your lust gets your attention, your lust will get you. If your hate gets your attention, your hate will get you. If your pride gets your attention, your pride will get you. Let Jesus get your attention. And sin will no longer have dominion over you because you're not under the law but under grace. And where sin did abound, grace did much more abound. Are we talking cheap grace? We are talking the most expensive grace in the world because it cost the life of the Son of God. And he who loves his sin cannot love his Christ. Romans 7, you have a picture of a man who's struggling. Read it yourself when you go home. He says, oh sinful man that I am. I know that the law is good, but I am carnal soul under sin. I say, who is this man? And some of my Christian friends say, oh that is Paul before he was converted. I say to them, do you ever struggle against sin? Oh, they say, no, we don't have any temptations now. Tell me what tablets you're on and I'll get some too. Hmm. Roman Catholic theologians have always taught that Romans 7 is about an unconverted man. Hear that? The view of the Jesuits is that Romans 7 is a lost soul. But the view of Martin Luther and the Protestants was this. This is a man who was born again, who's come to know Christ but still has a sinful, fallen nature. I want to tell every person here today that the closer you come to Christ, the more sinful you'll feel in your own eyes. Mm -hmm. And the, the flesh is still with us. And in Romans 7, you have a man who was justified, who is redeemed, who is living in the light of the glory of God, and who is still struggling against sin. You and I will struggle against our pride and our arrogance and our spiritual stupidity and the lusts of the flesh and the pride of life until Jesus comes and gives us new bodies, but the Bible tells me, as I look to Christ, Christ will make me an overcomer. You hear it? And Romans 8 is the high point of this book. Some would say the high point of Scripture. Verse 1, Therefore, even though I'm struggling... You know, I meet on occasions people who tell me, I've met them everywhere, religious people. I say, they say, we don't have any struggle. We don't know what it is to, to have temptations. They're not living honestly because the greatest saints of God have had struggles. A person who is loved in this church said, we are often falling, and rising, falling, rising, and continuing on. But there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do, And that was weakened by the sinful nature. God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. And he condemns sin and sinful man in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us. God does not abolish his law. Who do not live according to the sinful nature. But according to the spirit. Verse 12, Therefore, brothers, we have an obligation, but it is not to the sinful nature to live according to it, for if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live, because those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the Spirit of sonship, And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. As Samuel Wesley said to John, as Samuel was dying, he said, John, the inner witness, it is the greatest proof of Christianity. And today I testify that the Spirit of God testifies with my spirit that I am a child of God. Saved by grace, not because I'm good enough, but because He is. Verse 18, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. One of our church members at this time is going through a very difficult experience with cancer. But one day she is going to recognize that the sufferings of this present life are not worth comparing with the glory that's going to come. Mm. Whatever happens, nothing can compare with the glory of heaven. Nothing. And then Paul rides up to heaven. He throws down the gauntlet. As he rides the gospel charger across the sky. Verse 31. What then? What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, didn't spare his son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also, along with him, graciously give all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? Christ Jesus who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Now I want you to stand. I want you to read the great words of Holy Scripture. Great words of Holy Scripture. Verse 37, we're going to read them. We're going to read them with our hearts. Here is a man, my friend, who is a sinner. A man who is still struggling. A man who is not perfect. But a man who is in Christ. And who is redeemed. who loves God and loves His law. And we're going to read it together. Verse 37 and onwards. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And I say today to God, glory be to God, and I say to those who are redeemed in this church, We should thank God and praise Him for this inexpressible gift. And for those who've sat here today, I would hope only a tiny minority. I would hope none at all. But if there are some who've sat here today and it has been a load of gobbledygook and you have not understood one word of it, I pray God that the sun will not set today until the spirit will bear witness with your spirit that you are a child of God. And in your own heart will come a revelation number one, that we are sinners and we will stop acting as though we're pious. That we'll recognize that we're sinners but will recognize that Christ died for the ungodly. And that when I come in sincere faith and penitence to his cross, that I am declared righteous and simultaneously born again, filled with the Holy Spirit, his law written on my heart, filled with joy and hope, unspeakable and full of glory, not condemned, never separated, and assured of the kingdom of God. Please bow your heads. Our Father in heaven, for this grand, marvelous theme of holy writ, we bless you, we praise you, We thank you that there is none to condemn because Christ has borne our condemnation. We thank you for the good news and also the bad news. The bad news about ourselves, but the good news about God. And as the Apostle Paul received this doctrine of righteousness by faith, by supernatural revelation... Might every person in the church today receive a similar revelation of the crucified Christ that the scales will fall off our eyes and we will say, redeemed, redeemed, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. We thank you, we worship you, and we bless you for so great a salvation. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: Amen, and glory be to God. Glory be to God.